back at Pebble Mill, we, like the Lib Dems, had a problem. Top Gear wasn't Jeremy's show, but he was a huge part of it, and it would be naive to ignore how much of the programme's appeal in those heady and top-rated days came from the prospect that he would pop up and enliven a review of some dreary car with a metaphor about underpants or something. Nonetheless, as the news sank in, we tried to put a brave face on it. The show was bigger than any one presenter, we said to ourselves. Top Gear can and will carry on. We have Quentin, we have Tiff, we have Vicky, we have Tony Mason, for heaven's sake. Those steam rallies won't report themselves, you know. Deep down, though, I think we all feared that Top Gear had lost its biggest attraction. Yes, it could carry on and viewers would still watch, but it would be like going to the zoo knowing that their tiger had died. One of our first jobs, post-Paddy Clarkson, was to find a new presenter or two. This was pretty much an ongoing task at Top Gear anyway. Not long after I'd started there, John Bentley had told me to unearth some likely car journalists to screen test, and when the roster I'd found turned out to be people they'd already seen, or people they didn't want to see, Bentley insisted I had a go instead. We went down to the local park, where he pointed a camcorder at me while I pretended that a small bush was actually a large Peugeot, and entirely on the basis of this deliriously weird footage, I was allowed to go away and make an item on car colours, which was too rubbish to broadcast, and then present a road test of a Subaru Legacy, which was also rubbish, but eventually made it to air because the show was short an item one week, and therefore desperate. After this, John wisely realised he had not, as he hoped, found the new Clarkson. What he'd actually found was a man who betrayed the old adage about the camera adding pounds by looking thinner when viewed through the prism of television, and with arms that seemed to be nine feet long, giving him the appearance of an anorexic octopus struggling to maintain eye contact with the camera. My presenting career was sensibly brought to an end. Besides, this was 1998, and at this point, he still had the actual Clarkson. When Jeremy left, we looked again for fresh talent and invited a few people in for screen tests. One of them was a chap called James May. I admired James enormously for his clever and witty column in Car Magazine and for his clever and witty presenting on the Channel 4 car show Driven. We liked Driven in the Top Gear office, and everyone on the team watched it avidly. This was for two reasons. Firstly, because competition was healthy, and secondly, because we secretly hoped that their show would be crap, so that we could laugh about it and feel better about ourselves. Hence the howls of delighted laughter when we discovered that their branded lorry was always mysteriously driving on the wrong side of the road during their time-exposed-to-danger overtaking test, because they'd had their logo painted on the wrong side of the trailer and couldn't afford to have it fixed. On the day of the screen tests, I made sure I was the one who met James at reception, and since we were running behind schedule, I took him up to the cafe on the first floor to distract him for a bit. Really, I just wanted to talk to him and find out if he was as funny and interesting as his car columns had led me to believe. With excitement, I offered him a tea or coffee. He chose a coffee and then winced at the first sip. I apologised for the state of BBC coffee, as Ronnie Corbett and Terry Wogan had inadvertently taught us to do. Oh, no, it's OK, James replied. It's just that I don't really like coffee.
Uh, "'That's no problem,' I said eagerly. "'I can get you a tea if you'd prefer.' "'No, no, you see, I love tea, and I couldn't bear to have a bad cup of it,' James explained. "'That's why I asked for coffee.' I remember thinking he was a bit odd. Later, James did a very good screen test, off the back of which he got a presenting job on Top Gear, where he proved himself to be an excellent person to work with and was actually as funny and interesting as I'd hoped. I never bought him a coffee again. In our worst nightmares, post-Clarkson Top Gear would become a hollow shell of itself, watched by seven uninterested people. In reality, the show was fine. Producer Chris Richards compared it to running a football team. Yes...